Good evening. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of, our, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is truth. Your word is beautiful and it is marvelous. And as we look at it this evening, God, we pray that you would use it to conform our hearts to the image of your Son. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This last Wednesday, I was finally free after being quarantined for 10 days because of COVID. Quarantine is not fun, and I would not recommend it to anybody. But after being locked in one place in my room for 10 days, it was great to be able to walk around and be free and actually, like, move. And with this newfound freedom, I knew exactly what I was going to do because there was a giant pile of dishes in the sink with my name written all over it. As we look at Titus 3, 1 through 8 this evening, we will see how we were once held captive by something much worse than COVID, but how we have been set free, and what are we to do with this newfound freedom? We'll start by looking at how we were all captives to sin in verse 3. Here, Paul lists out several statements about the state of mankind in a natural state as a result of the fall. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray, and slaves to various passions and pleasures. What does it mean that we were slaves to passions and pleasures? Well, we can look at two other verses in this book and we can understand what Paul is trying to tell us. Looking at chapter 2, verse 3, Paul is in the middle of exhorting different groups in the church on how they should behave. And he, when he gets to the women in the church, he tells them not to be slaves to much wine. Then, 
looking at the very first verse in this book, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul introduces himself as a servant of God. In the Greek, all three of these instances in chapter 1, 2, and 3 all have the exact same root word. So what is Paul's point here? His point in chapter 3 is that everybody serves something. Everybody is a slave to something. The issue is not that we are slaves or servants. The problem is what we are serving. To put it in maybe a little different way to better fit our 21st century ears, everybody worships something. In the verses in chapters 2 and 3, the thing that is being worshipped is wrong because it is a created thing. It is an idol. But, Paul, but when Paul describes himself as a servant to or worshiping God, it is a good thing. It is the greatest thing. He is giving our creator the honor that he deserves. The problem in chapter 3 is that he's describing how our sin nature has twisted and conformed us to make us worship not God, but instead worship sin. Sin has corrupted and twisted our nature to where we no longer long after our God. We do not seek after God. No, instead of worshiping God and enjoying Him forever, we instead worship the passions and pleasures of our flesh. We chase after those pleasures, those idols that we have placed on the pedestal of our heart. And when those idols have been placed in that position on the thrones of our hearts, everything in our lives revolve around them, making sure that that idol where that pleasure is served. That idol is where our happiness comes from. It is where our satisfaction comes from. And if we are not able to get that satisfaction or the, that pleasure, we are just our, adjust our lives to get it. That is what the ladies, what he's warning the ladies in chapter 2. He is warning them not to be consumed by their desire for wine. He does not want them to chase after it, and if they do not get it, do whatever it takes to get it. That is what it means to be slave to a passion or a pleasure, to have all our desires, all the deepest longings of our hearts, to be centered around the pleasures and idols, and to the point where it dominates our life. And that is what Paul is saying that humanity has fallen under by nature. So what are the passions and pleasures that we see in our culture today? We could probably name quite a few right off the top of our heads. Pride, lust, greed are probably some of the major ones. Uh, I think our society has a comfort idol as well. We just want to be comfortable all the time. And while I'm sure there are many others, all of these are things are something that our culture idolizes and worships. These are things that our culture has placed on the pedestal of our hearts. And we say that if we can live our life dedicated to this thing, then I will be happy and satisfied. If I get as much money as I can, I can finally be happy. As long as everything revolves around me, then I will be happy. If I seek after whatever brings me pleasure in the moment, then I will be happy and everything will be just fine. The problem, of course, is that these various passions and pleasures are then playing a role they were never meant to play. They were never meant to sit on the throne of our hearts, 
We will never be satisfied if we chase after them, and we will never be happy. And this is how we continue to fall under the power of sin. Because no matter how much we try, no matter how hard we try, we can never get enough. And we just keep searching over and over again. We keep going after those same idols over and over again. And we are never able to escape them. This constant dissatisfaction and longing is why we pass our days in malice and envy. We walk around never having enough of what we think will bring us joy and never being satisfied, but when we look around us, we think that everybody else has it figured out, and we want what they have, and we hate them for having what we want. Or it could be that we hate the people that we think are preventing us from getting what we feel we deserve. If we have pride in our hearts and someone is not showing us the respect we think we deserve, then we start hating them. If we do not have the money we think we deserve, we hate those that do have money. Our condition of being slaves causes us to hate those we think have it better than us and hate those that we think are preventing us from getting what we want, which, because of our sin, is everybody We hate others and are hated by others. If you want to think about it this way, we are prisoners trapped in a pit of our own sin and misery. And we love our pit. We love it so much we don't even try to escape it. Instead, we love the sin that has trapped us, that has us in bonds, and we just keep digging the pit deeper and deeper by continuing to wallow in our sin. We are blind to the fact that we are prisoners and slaves, and we think this pit is where we are the happiest. Or at least, that is how it is for those that are still under sin. But I want us to go back to the very beginning of verse 3. Paul says that we ourselves were once foolish. We were once disobedient. We were once slaves to various passions and pleasures. It's all in the past tense. These things were once true of God's people, but they are not now. These things do not apply to us anymore. We are no longer held by the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to various passions and pleasures that held on to us so long. It may not always seem that way, Because we all have sins that we struggle with. We have sins that we can never seem to shake, no matter how much growth we see. They still plague us. But you can continue fighting against these sins because we know that they no longer have power over us. You can be confident in the fact that though you've been struggling with this sin for days, months, years, even decades that it no longer has control on you. You do not have to bend to it anymore. You no longer have to build your life around an idol that will never satisfy your soul. Instead, you have been freed from the power of sin and are free to worship God because He is the only one who can satisfy your longing. It is when we serve and worship God that we can finally be satisfied. So how is it that we are no longer captives to sin? How is it that we are now free to worship and love God? Well, it comes in the beautiful verses that follow 
verse 3. Let me reread verses 3 through 6 for us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God appeared, he loved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior's. We were once slaves to various passions and pleasures, but God saved us. He has freed us from the power of sin, and he did it by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Before, we were prisoners to the power of sin, and we didn't even know we were in chains. We loved being under sin's power and actively sought to serve our sin. Yet, even though we loved our sin, God sent the Holy Spirit and poured him out on us richly through Jesus Christ to free us from our bonds. And the more we realize just how bad off we were in verse 3, the more beautiful the truths in verses 4 through 6 are. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. That was our condition when God made us alive with Christ through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We often talk about how Scripture is profitable, which is 100% true. It always has been. It always will be. But how often do we marvel at the beauty of the Scriptures? How often do we look at its truths and think how beautiful and marvelous it is that though we were hopelessly slaves to our sin, God saved us. And if that was not enough, it becomes even more amazing. If we look in verse 4, we see that God freed sinners from the bond of sin as an outworking of his goodness and loving kindness. Purely because of how good he is, he has decided to save a people for himself, even though they loved their sin and did not love him. Even though we were foolish and disobedient, even though we were easily led astray by our sin, God saved And we should not miss the words that Paul uses to describe our salvation. The goodness and kindness of our God appeared. The washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Our God is not a passive God. Everything happens according to his plan that he set forth from eternity. But that does not mean that he just lets it all unfold and watches No, our God is active. He steps into time to save us. The Holy Spirit who blows like the wind wherever he pleases frees people from sin so that their lives may be changed, that they may be brought from death to life. He actively frees his people from the bonds of sin that reign over them. He gives them new life so that those that were foolish and disobedient now may live to the fullest in obedience to the one that created them. 
Our God does not sit back and wait for his people to choose him because they never could choose him. They were unable to choose anything but the bondage that they were under. Yet his grace is shown to us because he has given us the Holy Spirit richly through the work of Christ. Because we have been united to Christ and because Christ died on the cross for his people, he has freed us from slavery to sin. We are given his righteousness and he has taken our sins. There is nothing we could ever do to earn our freedom for ourselves. We can never earn our salvation. This is why Paul wants us to make sure that we understand that it is God saves us and not works done by us in righteousness. In verse 5, this phrase that Paul includes in righteousness, it means to be in a state of righteousness. It means to be righteous. By saying that we are not, done, not saved by works done by us in the state of righteousness, he dismantles a common trap that we tend to fall into. That trap being, of course, that we think we can earn or merit our salvation. We think we can earn our way into heaven. We think that if we do enough good things, or maybe if we just do enough more good things than we do bad things, that we can work our way into God's pleasure, into his presence. Paul knows this trap better than most. After all, that is what he did for his entire life until Christ met him on the way to Damascus. That is why he has just reminded us of our state before salvation. Before God saved us, we could only be classified as sins, to, slaves to our sins. Nothing we did could be counted as righteous because all of our works were dedicated to the false gods of our hearts. Nothing we did could please God because we were in love with our sin. We also see here in these verses that our works do not complete or contribute to our salvation. It's not like we do our best and then God carries us the rest of the way. Look at the way that Paul describes his salvation in verses 5 and verse 7. We have been justified by his grace in verse 7. In 5, he says, God saved us. These are completed actions. There is nothing more that needs to be done. There is nothing we can do because God has already completed our salvation. It is done. Going back to our pit analogy, we were prisoners to the various passions and pleasures that ruled over us. We were trapped in our pit. And we didn't even know we should be trying to find our way out. But God loved us and showed mercy on us. And because of his goodness and his loving kindness, and because those things were so immense, he raised us up out of the pit and freed us from our bonds. This freedom means that we can rest and be secure in our salvation, in our hope for eternal life. We can be comforted because it was, we know that our God is never going to leave us or forsake us because it was Him that sought us out in the first place. 
He is the one that rescued us, and we can be assured of his love by remembering that he brought us out of sin, out of bonds, and into our salvation. There is nothing that we can do to have earned our salvation. And as a result of God the Father intentionally pouring out the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus on us, we can be sure of our relationship with our God. Take heart, Christian, and know that your God loves you and that he has freed you and that you have a secured hope for eternal life in him. We have been freed from the power of sin and can rest knowing our salvation is secure. But now what? What do we do with this salvation? What do we do with this newfound freedom? And we look to see what Paul has for us in verse 8. In verse 8, we see that we are to devote ourselves to good works. But only after we have been assured and are confident in our salvation by grace alone. That is why Paul tells Titus in verse 8 to insist upon these things to the people of God. That we have been saved by God according to his own mercy and that we have been justified by His grace alone. Once we understand these truths, the marvelous and miraculous truths that we have been saved, then, and it is only then, that we are to devote ourselves to good works as a result of our salvation and freedom, and not to earn them. We are to be devoted to good works. This is not something that we are to be passive in, We are not supposed to enjoy our freedom and do good things just when they fall into our laps. No, we are supposed to actively engage in good works. They are something that are that are marked that are supposed to mark our lives as Christians. Because this is something that is supposed to be the result of the renewal of the Holy Spirit that is connected to our regeneration. Looking back at verse 5, we see that we have been washed by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot be regenerated and also not be renewed. This is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12 too, where he says to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Where the regeneration that we looked at is a completed action, this renewal by the Spirit is an ongoing thing. It is a daily renewal. And the outworking of this renewal that we receive by the Holy Spirit is the spiritual growth growth that we see in our lives where we are conformed to the image of Christ. On a practical level, this looks like Philippians 2 where Paul says we are to work out our salvation for it is God who is working in us. We devote ourselves to good works because the Spirit is working in us and through us. So we must be ready for every good work. And what are these good works that we are supposed to do? Well, we look all the way back to verses 1 and 2. We are to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. 
It is interesting how Paul contrasts these good works in verses 1 and 2 with the state that we are in under sin in verse 3. Before, under the power of sin, we were disobedient. But now that God has saved us, we are supposed to devote ourselves to being obedient. Before, we walked around in malice and envy, hating others and being hated by others. But now, now we are to be gentle, showing perfect courtesy towards all people. And why are we doing these things? Well, looking at verse 8, we see that not only are we to do these things because we have been saved, but because they are excellent and profitable for people. In a world where everybody is walking around in malice, hating each other, we are to do good works for the benefits of others. Where we were slaves to our sin before, we are now free to serve others and to do good works for them. We are to be a ray of light in the midst of darkness and hatred. Now that we have been freed from our pit and cleansed, we should not just stand at the edge looking down at, into it, looking down at the bondage we were once under and doing nothing. We should be thankful that God saved us because of his own mercy. And then we are to go forth doing good works as a response to this act of grace and mercy that he has shown. Nor should we take this salvation for granted and climb back down into our pit and act the same way we did before God saved us. We have been shown the error of our ways. Why would we go back to them? We would, why would we throw back on the chains of sin when we have been set free? Why be slaves to the passions and pleasures of our flesh when we are free to love God and to do good deeds for others? We are now free because of Christ Jesus. Let us be ready and devote ourselves to every and all good works. Christ Ridge, we too were once like the rest of mankind. We were slaves to the various passions and pleasures of the flesh, but God saved us. Where there was only sin and death, he brought new life through regeneration. While the rest of the world is slaves to their passions and to their pleasures, we, the church, are supposed to show what real freedom is. It is the freedom to do good works because we have been set free by a marvelous God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we can never understand how truly evil and awful our sin is. We can never understand how great of a hold it has on us. And we can never understand how wonderful and amazing it is to have been saved by you. God, we thank you for setting us free from being slaves to our flesh and instead allowing us to love and serve you, our one true God. God, we pray that we would not be ungrateful 
but God, that we would marvel at your goodness and beauty and that we would do good works for you have saved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.